Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. All right, welcome everybody. Um, My name is Jeremy Compton and like Tim did tell you, I am a guest speaker. So if you come back next week and I don't mess up the great worship we just had bad enough, you want to show back up. I'll hate to disappoint you, but the tall, handsome man with the mustache is just a weekly visitor. So um, I won't be here next week, but I hope I can bring some good stuff today. So getting into what we wanted to talk about today, the title of this message is What Are You Searching For? And I was driving, I drive to South Texas two or three days a week down Laredo, up and around, and I was listening to the Lee Child audio book or books on tape, as my mother likes to still call them. Um, And that kind of got me into wormhole of just conversations that Lee had had with people when he was searching and writing this book, The Case for Christ, um, where he went around and interviewed scholars. And one of the things that he was talking about in his search, he brought up a verse and he had said, you know, this is how I had to go about that. And that verse was... All right, there we go. It was Jeremiah 29, 13. And it was, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, I was driving down the interstate and I kind of listened to it a little bit. And then he came back to it and he said it again and what he was searching for. And then I got to laughing really hard about it. Because the very first thing that popped into my mind when I heard this verse was, is, you know, I probably search for God about like my children look for their shoes when we're trying to leave somewhere. That's, uh, that's kind of where I was at. And I was like, you know, first and foremost, am I even looking in the right place? When it's time to go, for some reason, our children think their shoes are in the pantry or maybe they're outside in the pool equipment storage box because that would be a likely place they're at. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, when we start looking for God and we're searching for God, a lot of times... That's, uh, are, are we even looking in the right place? And I got laughing. And, and then I started going down this rabbit hole a little bit more. And I was like, you know, how often are they standing in the right place, but they're staring up at the ceiling or they're looking at the top of their bed and, and they're just completely lost in what they're looking for. And then going even further, how many times do we walk in the room and they're standing in the room right next to their shoes, and they still can't see them. And that's when I kind of thought, you know what, this message has a little more than what we're laughing about. And it's hilarious, but the similarities that we see between us looking for God and our children looking for their shoes have a lot of things in common that are shocking. And what usually happens for our children to find their shoes? Someone else has to walk in and say, your shoes are right here. And then they look down and they're like, oh, there are shoes. It was like, but that made me wonder, you know, comparing me, myself, us to that situation that we're in 
in life, how many times does someone walk up to us in the heat of us being frustrated or being stressed or something going on, and you know, they look at you and say, you know what, God's working in your life, or look how blessed you are to have these children when you just spent 30 minutes trying to destroy them on the way to church or going somewhere. And we really, it kind of takes that someone else walking in and saying that to, to stop us a little bit and look and see and say, oh my, yeah, right? I, I do have blessings all around us. But, and you know, we kind of react like our children too. We react with shock or disbelief. Or a lot of times I know I get defensive and like, well, you don't know my personal struggles and you're walking in here and telling me, look how blessed you are. Look at, look at everything God's doing in your life. And we don't see that. And kind of with that laugh and with the whole children thing, that's what I wanted to dive in today when we're searching and going back to that verse. And when he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and what that actually means. And it, it's a weird question. What are we looking for when we search for God? If you pulled all of us out of this room and you ask each one of us individually, what are you looking for when you're searching for God? Are you looking for an event? Are you looking for something that happened? Are you looking for a feeling? Are you looking for someone to come up and preach to you? You know, what, what, how do we define God? How do you see God outside? Everyone's definition of that would probably go all over the spectrum of what we're looking at. But I think the first place to start for me is... What do we look for in others when we're searching for something? And that is a little different um, thought process. We don't think of searching for something. We think of searching for a shoe or searching for a person. But I think very importantly, when we're searching for something, you know, what are we looking for in a person or an outcome of a situation? We really get into, you know, we all play the mind games with ourselves of, well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? We live in these hypothetical worlds, especially with social media and things going on. So when we start looking for something, you know, something that's very common, when we look for good in people or when we look for bad in people, we usually find it. If you have a negative attitude or disposition towards somebody, you usually find that in that person. If you're frustrated with somebody or if someone has been doing really good stuff for you and you have a very positive outlook of that person, when you go to look for their demeanor, you usually see what you're searching for. So if we look back to that first verse, and if we look for good in people or a situation with all our heart, or if we look for good or bad in a situation with all our heart, that's usually what we find in our relationships, in our friendships, a situation at work. I mean, this can go on and on. We typically find the outcome we're looking for if we try hard enough. And this applies directly to our relationship with God. Are we searching for God with an open heart and an open mind? in a positive attitude, and we're looking for things? Or are we looking at despair and negativity in our life or things not going on in the world or the news that we like, and we're going, well, how could this be happening, and is this looking? So those are two very different pathways that you can go down when you start your search for God. And not even saying, you know, someone walking off the street that doesn't have a personal relationship with God someone that's doing a reset or just where you're at in that path you're going down today. 
how you start mentally before you start looking, I think really changes the outcome that you're going to get. We see all the time, for example, people will find God in an unknown place, and that truly is a blessing. But as we go through our struggles day to day, keeping a positive attitude towards our mission and our searching with all our heart, I think really um, that really matters. And if we don't start in that positive outlook and we don't have an optimistic mindset, we're probably going to find exactly the opposite of what we need to find. So I think just kind of going back over that, really staying positive and looking and having an open mind is so crucial in when we're starting to search. You know, and one thing that most of my friends will probably tell you or the people that know me is that I am the most optimistic person when it comes to very few things. I'm an engineer. I break things down. I go in here. But when it comes to fishing, I am positive that we are going to have the greatest day of fishing every time we get in the boat. If we touch the water, it's going to be the best day ever. I, I believe that. But this kind of gets into the next thing of, you know, where we're at and where we're searching. And if we're searching for our heart or if we're positive, if we were going to go out on the water, we were going to go do something that we loved and we go out there and we just start with this negative attitude and a preconceived notion that this isn't going to be a good day. If we come to church frustrated, if we go to Bible study, if we're going to meet with some friends and we have a negative attitude, that immediately is just absorbed by them. And, you know, we can't begin our search for God like this. Um, that is probably one of my biggest struggles and things that I have to do when I'm preparing to do things is getting my mind in the right place. And I think prayer, reflecting back, some quiet time, um, going through those things really helps me to get there and being positive. So we've got a positive attitude. I want to step into kind of the next thing of what we're actually searching for. The process of how we search for things applies very much so in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, is it methodical? Do you have a process? Do you have a set time that we do something? Uh, I do project management for a living. I break everything down. We pre-plan everything. We go in there. But I'm very passionate about it, and I really enjoy what I do. But I wouldn't say I do it with all my heart. It's not something that I'm like the world ends and I go into that mindset. One of the few things that I do do in preparation for all my heart is getting ready for a fishing trip. Um, people see my social media and are like, oh, this guy does fish. He's on fish all the time. Well, I don't put pictures up when we don't catch anything. It's really hard to do that. So, but when I prep for a fishing trip, um, like this last Saturday, we went to Baffin. I probably spent somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to fish on Saturday. And I play a game out of where are the fish at today. I'm looking at winds, pressures, tidal movement, bait, water temperatures in different areas of bay. I draw it out. I get on Google Earth. I do little arrows. I do wade line shift. So when we go fish Saturday morning, I have every hour of the day already planned out. And it always changes, but when we walk onto the water, I know where we need to be for this given moment, this given time. When this wind starts changing the just direction and the pressure drops, we're going to shift to this side of the bay, and this is where I think the bait are going to be. So we go, I go through this whole thing. That is the one thing I can honestly say that I do preparation with all my heart. I put everything into it. It's excessive, and people laugh at me all the time. But 
When I started preparing for this and I was thinking about this, searching for your, all, your, all your heart, I was like, man, am I doing that level of preparation in my search for God? Am I putting an hour every day into getting ready to go to church? Am I spending a predetermined time 30 minutes a day that I know I need to do this or Saturday I'm not going to be successful. Well, I have Bible study on Wednesday when I actually get to make it. Um, And am I preparing for that? Or am I reading my verses that I need Tuesday night at 11.30 so I can get up at 5 to come to Bible study? Did I look at that Saturday, Sunday? Did I review my church notes that I went? Like, did I prepare in my search for God? Is there a process? And the simple answer is really is... No, there is no process. I was like, well, how, how do I take what I did there in building that process to get where I needed to be? And honestly, in the fishing world, I reached out to mentors. I have a mentor for every bay system that I fish that I can call any day of the week and say, hey, what are you seeing? This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm thinking. What's your game plan today? I was like, man, you know, the mentors really lifted me up really quick. Well, when we begin our search for God, that's really a personal thing a lot of us internalize. And, you know, it's just wandering around out on your own, not being successful, what we need to do, or should we be seeking that mentor too, or a group, or latching on to someone that can help guide you through that instead of just saying, okay, I don't, I don't have what I struggle with religion-wise, is accountability. I do not have people that hold me accountable. My customers at work hold me accountable. The guests that I take fishing, if we don't catch any fish, really hold me accountable. Um, If I take my kids hunting and we don't kill anything, they hold me accountable. But we don't put people in place that hold us accountable on our path to God because it's, it's uncomfortable. Someone coming and telling you, like, man, you've really strayed. Like, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like, that, that's hard to hear, especially five days a week. You definitely, you know, but, but why not? You, that was the first thing that kind of hit me is, why are we not asking ourselves accountable? It's like, well, we need a mentor. We need a specialist. Um, we need someone, a pastor, a friend. You know, we can go down all these different paths, and, you know, we can't find it on our own. It's very difficult for someone to have the discipline to put processes in place and be open-minded and positive and hold themselves accountable when it comes to religion. And I was, you know, I was like, well, who, what's a specialist that I know? And if the, the people that do know me in here know that I have a dog named Hondo. Hondo destroys everything in our yard that he touches. He is a dog from Germany that is a 30-pound wire-haired dachshund, basically. They crossed a couple breeds together, and he's He's terrible. He really just chews that he's killed palm trees. So, but Hondo is a specialist. We brought Hondo over because we like to hunt, we like to bow hunt, and he was born to trail animals, uh, a wounded animal. Just an example, this last year we had a group of hunters that spent three hours looking for a deer, and they made it probably a hundred yards. So after three hours, they gave up, they put a flag in the ground, they dropped me a pin. I took Hondo over, and in 10 minutes, almost 700 yards, we were looking at their deer. So we brought in a specialist. He's really good at that. He's not really good at anything else he does. But, I mean, so I laugh about Hondo because I was like, "That's there's a specialist. We've ever seen one. And he's truly special, I promise you. Um, 
But it's weird in life. You know, other than men refusing to ask for directions, when we need help, we ask for it. I mean, that usually goes down. Plumbing, HVAC, roofing. I mean, we saw in the freeze how many master plumbers we had that didn't have license because we needed help, right? We needed to reach out to people. We needed the specialist to come and get there. Um, we have a leak in our pool, I'm convinced, because my water level is going down at a level that's not normal to me for this time of year. So I've reached out to a specialist to come in and help us find the leak. But like I said, when we're discussing God, and why aren't we reaching out to that leader, or to that mentor? Why are we have some shame or embarrassment or, man, you know, I'm just not on the right path yet. I don't really want to reach out and talk to that pastor yet because, boy, he, he's going to call me out on some things. And that's honestly just the opposite of what we should be doing. Those mentors and leaders should be there to get us on the right path, not to congratulate us once we're there. And that's something that hit me in this, like, oh, Jeremy, you need to check yourself pretty hard on that one because I don't want to be in a church environment until I feel like I belong in a church environment. We should be bringing the people who don't belong yet to get them into the church environment. We have to help them in their search for God. We have to help ourselves. So, And that's something, too, that I'm really excited to see our small groups coming back um, at some point this year. Uh, that is an accountability system. That is a group. That is peers. Peers are, it's easier to be judged by your peers than it is by an elder or someone that you respect more. And, and so I think a blend of those coming together is going to be really good. Relating back, if you weren't here, Tim gave a sermon a couple of weeks ago on being an evangelist and what that looked like. And he had some really good videos of people knocking on doors and uh, being awkward. And, but then he kind of wrapped it up, and, and his whole message was, you know, be, a, be an evangelist by someone looking at your life and saying, what is that person doing so right? Because I want that for my life. So when I started thinking about this mentor and the specialist path and that, I realized everyone in this room is probably already being a mentor to someone and they don't know it. There's someone that's watching you that looks up to you already. You may only be halfway in your path to where you think you need to be, but there's someone looking up to you, a child, a friend, a peer. It may be an elder looking down that is that. And when Tim said that, What's really stuck with me out of that was sometimes, you know, actions speak louder than words. We hear that. That's a great meme or parable that we all hear. But it's so true because being a mentor to somebody doesn't mean you're going and sitting down and grabbing them and talking to them. Someone's already probably using you as a mentor. And keeping that in my mindset when I've gotten up every day since I heard that sermon of how am I being a mentor to someone else? Well, I don't want to ruin being a mentor for them when I didn't even know I was a mentor for them. And that has kind of checked me a little bit on when I started going through this search for God and other people need to see your path and you can lead them along the way without even knowing it. The third part of this I want to discuss goes back to a few things we've already mentioned. Um, when we talk about searching for things, when we talk about mentors, when we talk about preparing and things like that. Our surroundings really matter. Uh, I saw a Facebook post a couple weeks ago, 
and it was, uh, I'd seen it multiple times before, but it said, if you hang out with five millionaires, you'll become the six. If you hang out with five junkies, you'll become the six. Well, I shared it and wrote, if you hang out with five people that fish better than you, you'll just get made fun of. And there's a lot of truth to that. It's a pretty tough community out there. But I got to thinking about that, and I was like, oh, how true is that? I was like, you know, um, if you're going down your path for God, and you're searching for God, and you're hanging out with five people who don't believe, it's going to be real hard for you not to become that six. It, it, but Isaac said something last week. He read a verse um, discussing the 99 debate he had with his wife and the lyrics. But it really, really tied into this. And before we read that verse, or here it is right here. We'll go ahead and go into it. So this is Luke 15, 3 through 6. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. So this right here has always been a struggle personally with me. And I was having a really hard time trying to walk between these two lines discussing this today. We go back to our Facebook. We'll call it a Facebook parable because it sounds better instead of a meme. We go back to the Facebook post of don't become the six is basically what it was saying. But in our search for God, we should surround ourselves with Christians who are also searching for God. You need that guidance. You need that leadership. You need that community. It is hard for us to do this on our own. You need that. But Jesus tells us to go out and find that lost sheep. But he also tells us something in there that I think is very, very powerful. He says, go find the lost sheep and bring the sheep home. Don't stay gone. So when we think about surrounding ourselves with people who are like-minded, who are on the same path of us, that can hold ourselves accountable. You can't isolate yourself. You can't quarantine away from the rest of the world. You can't lock yourself into this perfect bubble and you're not looking at everyone else's struggles that are going out there because you're not going and finding that lost sheep. But how do you get to that point that you can go and search for that sheep and return and bring him home. Because that's what it says very clearly. You need to bring the sheep home and rejoice. So many times we see people that go out to grab this lost sheep and they don't come back. They become the six of that group. They leave your group and they go to another group and you lose them. And so I kind of started thinking about that. I was like, what, what, why does that happen so commonly? That we see someone, especially from the Christian side, go, I want to go out and save this person. I'm going to go spend time with this person. And then we look up three months and they became that person. And I think it all comes back to, one, what, I mean, how were they searching for God? Did they have a strong faith? Did they have process? Did they have a methodical method in preparing themselves every week? Did they have a support group 
Did they have a mentor that was holding them accountable? Did they have a specialist that could lead them in the right direction so that they didn't stray when they went out to find that sheep? They didn't get lost. They came back. And all of that comes back to you and ties right back in to the whole thing of the first verse of, you know, seek me with all your heart. And what does that mean? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And it gets into, well, what is that seeking with all your heart? So we've discussed not seeing God right in front of us while we're searching for him. And I truly believe in our society and where we are, this is one of the most common things that happens. I know it happens to me and it happens to a lot of people. We quit counting our own blessings and start looking at why we don't have those of others. They're in front of us. We're standing in the room with them on the floor and we can't see them because we're not focused and we're not searching with all our heart. We talked about searching for God with an optimistic and a positive manner. Having the right disposition when you go into this. Not being negative, not looking for something and trying to grasp for straws, but truly opening your heart and being positive when you go about your prayers, your services, your preparation. You know, we've talked about using a methodical system and keep us focused on our tack, um, task. Seeking a mentor or a group, someone to help us, guide us to get to that. When we're talking about searching with all our heart, I think all of those are required for you to truly to be able to say, I'm searching with all my heart. And I want to end with this today. I was making a list and trying to put together of something that I had lost, that I'd searched for with all my heart. Like, what, what was that? You know, is it your car keys when you're late for an important meeting and you have to leave and you can't find them? If you're me, you've not only lost your car keys, you've also lost the spare keys in the last 24 hours. So I am in this situation a lot. Just that sheer... Nothing else matters until you can find those keys. We're not addressing anything until we get there. Um, another one that I came up with was in first grade. I remember this was a long time ago. Our teacher lost the diming out of her wedding ring. And our day ended. And I didn't understand it then, and I understand it now. And she left the classroom, and we had no teacher. She went home. After every kid in the class spent an hour combing the floor looking for her diamond, she went home to find it because she was convinced it fell out of her house. Nothing else mattered at that moment. She truly was searching for that diamond in her wedding band, um, and she did find it. It was a very positive day the next day. But that was something else. So, And I was thinking, but, you know, is that really searching with all your heart? So then I came up with, for me, that moment of panic when you lose your child, whether you're at the grocery store or the beach, and you look up and your child isn't standing there anymore, and you don't know where they are, that urgency, that gut-wrenching pain, that you may only have to search for 10 seconds or you may have to search for 10 minutes, but truly nothing else at that moment matters but finding that child, and it hurts, and you panic, and you start doing irrational things sometimes, but that was what I came up with, that with all your heart, 
searching for something. And then I wrote my notes. Now imagine searching for God every day with that same intensity. That moment that you lost your child, if you could take that and focus that and apply it to learning and searching for God, what, what a difference it would make in our life. So think about this as you leave. That lost feeling of losing your child we're God's children. He's our father. Imagine how he feels when he loses us. But he knows where we are. And he's sitting there watching. And he can't bring us back yet. I think that's what he meant when he said, Seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Because he is our father, and he wants his lost children to come home. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to gather here today. Thank you for the blessings you bestow upon us. Thank you tenfold for everything that you allow us to do in being able to worship here. I ask that you open our eyes and our heart and truly allow us to start searching for you and searching for you with all our heart and understanding what that means when we prepare to come to church or we prepare for a Bible study or we just prepare for uh, day-in and day-out routines, allowing us and blessing us and giving us abilities to be able to process that and redirect ourselves and focus on you. It's in this we pray. Amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.